remind everybody out there listening far and wide that if you do not support your source of information, then you are the product and your brain space is being sold to whoever does support the source of your news and information. So please support whatever local independent news sources that you consume and maybe even some of those outside of where you consume just because, you know, you got to keep a broader point of viewpoints alive out there because sooner or later you'll be caught in a little cul-de-sac and you'll have nowhere to go and you'll rue the day you didn't support Redwood Community Radio. So without further ado, let's get into Ask Your Herb Doctor. Good evening and welcome to January the 21st, 2022's edition of Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson-Murray. Welcome to our show. Well, you're listening to KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM here from the Redwood Coast of California, broadcasting nationwide and internationally to a wide range of open-minded, perceptive individuals who want to know what's really going on well if you want to know what's really going on keep tuned to the show don't forget to listen to the audio archives that are recorded but unfortunately they are only kept for a month or two at the most but um our website has uh at least 10 years of archives but i've got at least another two years to put up so excuse me for that it's been a bit busy yeah i'd like to comment on the archive situation because i thought that there used to be held for a lot longer and one of my past hosts called me up saying hey our organization sent you people so i was able to tell simon about that and he was able to give them a special link oh really good uh, okay they're up there they're up there three months as it is right now interesting it used to be be longer but there is a way that you can find a quick link to yours and you could put that on your website too and also we as programmers should talk to kema to try to get it great yeah we we record all of them so they they are intended to be put on the website but it's the same thing i just get so busy that it just kind of slips so anyway, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Dr. KMD Garberville, 91.1 FM, from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. You're invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's subject of MSG and cancer and a continuation of estrogen and its uh, progressively destructive effects and induction of autoimmunity and cancer. Uh, we have a bit of a wrap-up from last month to finish and then... Uh, get started with the uh, MSG and the glutamate, etc., and the links to cancer and excitotoxicity. There's also a link to COVID uh, and MSG through its uh, negative effects on the immune system. So, let me see here. 
The number is uh, 707-93-3911. So from 7.30 until the end of the show, uh, please go ahead and call up with any questions you have related to this month's subject, or if you have other questions uh, you want to post to Dr. Pete, uh, we'd love to hear them too. Okay, so Dr. Pete, are you with us? Yes. Okay, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, as usual, I think let's just uh, make sure that you are fully introduced to the audience, uh, perhaps those people, some of which may never have heard you, and uh, just let them know a little bit about you, what, what your what expertise is. Uh, oh, uh, now you want to hear? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I uh, have been a student of the humanities and teaching uh, oh, uh, painting and English literature and various humanities subjects, and I got interested in language uh, and how the brain uh, can do such a thing as use language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I decided that the only way to make progress was to go to uh, graduate school in biology and study the brain. Uh, and, and so in 1968, I, I w- went back to the University of Oregon, uh, and uh, I quickly found that the nerve biology uh, section of the department was very uh, dogmatic and cared more about their their theories than the actual experimental evidence, and in fact, didn't like to look uh, too much at, at experimental uh, results if, if they didn't absolutely fall in line with the theory. Uh, and I found, looking around <clears throat> uh, for, for several uh, weeks, I checked into many different labs at the university and found that the aging research in reproductive physiology and how it's affected by aging. Uh, they were the, the most uh, concerned with finding out what's really happening. Uh, and so I decided to do my dissertation on that, which I, I finished uh, in 1972, uh, the uh, age-related oxidative changes in the hamster u- uh, uterus. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, that uh, had a huge amount of information relative to, to brain function and uh, everything else to uh, thoroughly understand uh, what's going on in aging changes uh, and uh, how, how the organism uh, redesigns cells so that they can start a, a new life uh, from a single fertilized ovum, uh, uh, that involves the same principles that you need to look at to uh, see what the brain is doing uh, in relation to uh, behavior and understanding language and so on. Uh, So uh, one thing led into another, and I've been uh, working on those. Uh, subjects ever since yeah excellent well i i really from a, a social perspective i really appreciate your uh interweaving your artistic uh nature with a fluid um understanding uh perhaps which is not 
current, uh, I think, mainstream understanding tends to be fairly dogmatic, but you have a very fluid plastic um, way of looking at things, and I know it's brought a, a very wide spotlight on a lot of subjects that we've covered and um, really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us and I know as I said many many times the uh, archives that we've recorded with you probably for the last 14 years nearly now um, they're going to be a living testimony to what's already been um, confirmed I think somewhat reluctantly by some industries because they'd like to keep control of their uh, dominance, um, but a lot of these things that you've been saying have been confirmed, and um, I think slowly but surely people are getting a much better understanding of the way things really are, uh, unlike what they've been told. So I think without further ado, I just wanted to say uh, for those that are listening that um, there was several several uh, questions that I wanted to uh, ask Dr. Pete last month about estrogen, its relationship to autoimmunity and cancer. Uh, but very quickly, I just wanted to cover a couple of things uh, from an herbal perspective um, surrounding um, estrogen and aromatase that I just want to share with people. So uh, last month, I mentioned uh, um, a uh, cucurbitaceous vine-bearing uh, plant called uh, Monmodica charantia, which is a bitter melon. has been used to... Um, block estrogen essentially has estrogen modulating properties uh, and this is a di- anti-diabetic plant essentially kind of works with uh, regulating blood glucose. I wanted to also mention artemisinin um, a component really of wormwood but also artemisia annua um, that actually contains not just antiparasitic, antimicrobial uh, and antiviral effects but it's also been shown to reduce the estrogen estrogen receptor function in breast cancer cell lines so that's worth people taking a look at uh, PubMed or any other uh, peer-reviewed uh, work done by postdocs or PhDs uh, who are looking at this as an interesting uh, part of their thesis so artemisinin uh, does have anti-estrogenic activity um, I wanted to say quickly that also tamoxifen um, you know may be useful in the treatment of immune mediated disorders particularly those arising uh, arising from aberrant helper T1 cell activity, uh, including allograft rejection. It's also uh, been used uh, with some success in Crohn's. Um, but wanted just to bring bring that out, that the uh, the induced shift away from cellular immunity represents a, a significant step in fostering a cancerogenic environment, uh, and this may limit the anti-cancer effects of tamoxifen, and thus explain why tamoxifen is inferior compared to other anti-estrogens, many of which Dr. Pete's brought out, uh, many of which we're probably going to be covering again quickly, uh, for preventing disease recurrence in early breast uh, tumours, early stage breast tumours. So I think uh, let's get into, before we we retrace too much, that was a a small part of what I wanted to just make sure I got out there first of all, but um, I think let's just kick off tonight with um, (laughs) the topic of uh, MSG, uh, and we've, we've had the last couple of shows uh, on estrogen, but last month specifically uh, from an excitotoxic perspective, uh, that is where the cell is getting so uh, excited that essentially it goes into an early um, death uh, cycle. But um, monosodium glutamate, the uh, Food and Drug Administration has considered it safe um, to add to food, uh, and it's one of the most abundantly found amino acids in nature and it's present in a heterogeneous group uh, of foods as a flavor enhancement issued as a food additive known as E621 uh, in the form of hydrolyzed protein or as a purified monosodium salt. 
Uh, and very early on, and this is why, how I want to ask you, Dr. Pete, to kind of compare these two. Uh, early on, uh, they were demonstrating, or they seemingly were demonstrating, the benefits of monosodium glutamate uh, as responsible for increasing temperature, decreasing body mass, uh, and, and decreasing production of fat tissue so that it would be readily taken up. I mean, not just because of the umami flavor and the um, taste benefits, the taste-enhancing benefits that were conferred to foods that had monosodium glutamate added to them. Um, and I was surprised to find that there was a wide variety of foods, um, including things like walnuts, garlic, onion, potatoes. These would be pre-packaged, perhaps dried products, uh, not just the, you know, not the fresh product, although some of these uh, products do contain their own natural glutamate, of course. But uh, And then chicken, beef, eggs, human milk, and cow milk, um, and actually in fairly large amounts. So uh, the negative effect of this glutamine uh, essentially was that it suppressed the oxidation of glucose. So I'm wondering, uh, there are claims of obesity, whereas before they were talking about how it was going to increase your metabolism and burn fat and speed you up and everything else. Um, but Dr. Pete, you've been looking at monosodium glutamate and its excitotoxic effects, and that will, a little later on we'll get into some of the potential cancer risks associated and why the FDA is still not uh, banning it. Yeah, I think the weight loss thing was uh, just a sales ploy to, to sell the flavoring substance. Uh, in the 1970s, mostly, J.W. Olney found that when uh, rats were fed uh, just a little more than the uh, amount that a person uh, could normally eat in various uh, artificial foods or added as flavoring, that the brain was damaged in a certain way that led to lifelong obesity, hmm. uh, uh, destruction of, of enough of the brain that uh, appetite remained out of control and the metabolic rate wasn't sufficient to uh, to, to uh, keep weight, weight uh, uh, steady. And uh, uh, over a period of several years, he did many experiments, uh, including showing that the same sort of molecule, aspartic acid or aspartame, uh, or uh, or, or uh, uh, variations, but as long as it was acting through the glutamate receptor or the aspartate receptor, uh, it, it had this range of excitatory effects that uh, uh, one of the positive things was that it made you seem more alert, but uh, that alertness came at the expense of uh, not having enough energy produced to meet the high energy consumption caused by the uh, excitatory uh, action of the aspartate or, or glutamate. Isn't the aspartate, aspartame, isn't that also like that fake sugar, uh, uh, Splenda uh, or something like that? Yeah, uh, I think Coke. NutraSweet, I thought it was. Or NutraSweet. It's aspartic oh, acid oh. with methanol, and then it degrades into methanol and leaves methanol in your neurons. Oh, that's, yeah, that's uh, uh, not so I think uh, uh, aspartame is, is the super uh, sweet material, 
sweeter than saccharin. But uh, the, the amount that is toxic is, is very small. And uh, they've uh, demonstrated that it can cause brain cancer. And only among others in the late 70s was showing that the sudden appearance of a rising incidence of gliomas, a malignant glial cell tumors. Brain cancer. He demonstrated that you could cause those by overfeeding the glutamate or MSG to animals and mm-hmm. that the rise in the population incidence and mortality from these tumors followed by a few years the introduction of foods that were loaded with everything from aspartame to MSG. And looking at the animal research where you have no growing incidence of brain cancer is partly caused by the artificial sweeteners and flavoring materials. This goes to show we can't trust the ethics of the uh, FDA if they're allowing that type yeah, of product uh, on the market. And cell phones have corresponded, for example, if a person habitually holds their cell phone to the right ear, the incidence of brain tumors on the right side of a particular kind has increased sharply since the use of of cell phones. And it happens that they are both causes of excitotoxicity. Mm -hmm. The electromagnetic field excites the cells, and uh, you you need to uh, provide energy to keep up with that or the cell dies. Uh, And uh, uh, ongoing experiments show that uh, when cells are endangered by such things as MSG or aspartame, if you intervene by giving them a a super amount of sugar, uh, glucose or or other sugar will save the neurons simply by feeding uh, whatever is needed to keep up with the high level of excitation. Uh, And uh, that is uh, an image, the excitotoxic conflict between unavoidable stimulation of excitation combined with something interfering with the oxidation of glucose. Right. Uh, that mm-hmm. isn't uh, applicable only to aging and, and uh, uh, gliomas, a uh, uh, terminal type of, of brain cancer, usually. It, it uh, applies to epilepsy, for example, if the cells aren't uh, uh, able to keep up their energy production and use with the excitation as the uh, the seizure gets out of control uh, and damages the tissue. Uh, and it turns out that uh, 
other, it isn't just nerve cells, they're just the most uh, obvious uh, among the earliest to respond to extreme uh, disparity between the energy supply and the energy needed to meet the stimulation. Uh, but uh, any any cell that can be uh, exaggeratedly stimulated uh, uh, can be rescued if you keep the sugar supply up. But uh, uh, if it isn't kept up, then that cell uh, it becomes, uh, for example, it can become uh, cancerous. Uh, the uh, excited uh, cells can form brain tumors, or, or they can just die, uh, leading to dementia, or, or various types of uh, brain function loss, depending on which cells they are. This is like a kind of wasteful entropy, then, that happens as a lack of input of the energy needed to keep the cell going. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, it's uh, made worse by overlapping influences. It isn't just uh, cell phone radiation and aspartame and MSG, but it's many different things all have that same function. So uh, eating Chinese food has MSG in it, <laughs> drinking a diet soda, uh, yeah. plus talking on your cell phone, holding it up to your head. And if, if you look at what any stress does, uh, no, no matter what you're doing to yourself, vibration or uh, laser overstimulation or a telephone overstimulation or uh, even uh, simply glucose deprivation or oxygen deprivation, uh, they all turn out to be excitatory. Yeah, I, think, I think to coin that term wasteful is probably a good way for people who are listening to the show to understand the term excitatory. It's kind of very wasteful, uh, blowing off of your energy with just uh, inefficient um, processes. Uh, uh, yeah, and it happens that the feeding of energy in the form of, of sugar has an sedative action uh, that leads to turning down the degree of, of excitation. Uh, the uh, 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 harmful influence, uh, the damage to the cell, which might be uh, oxygen or glucose deprivation, uh, uh, or, or uh, 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 temperature uh, too cold or too hot, anything harmful turns out to activate a whole range of uh, uh, short-term uh, solutions uh, that if the cell perceives that it is uh, not getting enough energy uh, to, to meet the needs, uh, one alternative is to try to go into hibernation to turn off its own mm -hmm. needs for energy. Uh, and to do that, it has the uh, uh, equipment for producing serotonin, uh, which will uh, help to retain, prevent loss of heat through the skin, uh, but it also turns down the production of heat, uh, and so it leads to a, a colder and colder 
stayed suspended animation to a degree. Uh, and uh, another uh, universal basic type of reaction is the formation of histamine. Uh, uh, when a cell is in desperate dying conditions, it, it forms and secretes histamine into its environment because the histamine will open up any closed blood vessels and get more blood uh, delivered. Uh, and uh, estrogen is another of these uh, uh, short-term emergency things. Uh, the, the estrogen, in turn, uh, can activate the serotonin system and, and cool off the whole uh, energy-consuming apparatus, uh, and it can activate the histamine system. And there are other uh, systems, like it activates nitric oxide formation that uh, opens up the blood vessels the same way histamine does. Uh, and it uh, can activate heme oxygenase, which uh, breaks down heme, which uh, ha had been used to make the cells energy. Uh, now, uh, when it's in the desperate condition, uh, breaking down the heme uh, will uh, uh, provide some antioxidant function. Uh, uh, bilirubin and carbon monoxide are, are produced under uh, these circumstances. The carbon monoxide uh, can serve as an antioxidant, blocking the uh, ability to consume oxygen and so moving the system into a, a torpor. Or hibernation. Mm -hmm. So it's all lots of inflammation. Lots of waste, wasteful, uh, wasteful mechanisms to waste and deplete the organism of energy and further send the cell into a desperate state. Uh, uh, Michael, you had a question. Yeah, uh, my understanding is that the the glutamate or the you know the accent flavor uh, is stimulating the unami flavor, right. and a, a lot of the high protein and other you know nutritious foods stimulate that too. How is it that the body is able to be benefited by eating like a nice, you know, high protein diet? What is it? That's the question. Okay. Okay. So yes. The, the hydrolyzed protein and the weight of the soy protein and uh, a lot of those products are totally um, big sources of MSG. Um, to Dr. P, um, how about how about the uh, flavoring side of MSG and? Um, or as much its natural presence in the diet versus... Uh, yeah, that in the natural state, where protein is a rare delicacy for most animals, the urge to eat some protein, it's a definite survival urge. You want to build muscle, make new tissue, and so on. Uh, but the trouble is uh, when uh, the society provides lots and lots of cheap protein, uh, people get in the habit of uh, not being guided by their uh, appetite and cravings, but uh, just eating it because it's there, uh, and even because it's uh, considered the most valuable food, uh, the people uh, tend to overeat on protein after they're around the age of 20 or so as their growth slows down they tend to keep eating 
for the 15-year-olds they were. And as long as you're growing and consuming, you you respond to the signal action of the glutamate and so on. But as soon as you've responded, you go into an anabolic state and pick up all of those individual amino acids and make muscle uh, and uh, brain tissue and uh, make, make, renew all of your tissues uh, and make them bigger and stronger. But once your size is established, uh, then if you keep eating that same amount, you're going to have a, a lot of excess uh, beyond your needs, uh, excess uh, uh, histidine, uh, tryptophan, methionine, cysteine, aspartate, glutamate, uh, all of these potentially excitotoxic uh, uh, amino acids. So when you recommend people consume 75 to 100 grams of protein a day, you're That's not recommending they consume that all in the form of muscle meat or eggs. You, you typically don't recommend more than two eggs a day and... Uh, most of your uh, protein requirements, you believe, should be coming from dairy? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and after you're grown up in, in size, you should try to learn to go by your actual uh, biological urges rather than uh, what advertising tells you to eat. So how many ounces of a muscle protein, whether it's fish, shellfish, Meat, chicken, would you uh, recommend it, is a it, safe level for it, adults, grown grown adults? Uh, yeah, as your metabolic rate slows down, and that happens steadily uh, from uh, puberty, uh, it first slows down very uh, quickly uh, after puberty, and then it has a level decline, a steady annual decline of, of uh, ability to uh, make new tissue and produce energy. Uh, and so the older you are, the more careful you have to be about uh, having an excess of the, especially the excitotoxic uh, amino acids. So I guess it's just based upon your activity level and your age is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think it was Adele Davis said, uh, in pointing out that uh, gelatin is considered an incomplete protein because uh, animals and people can't grow if they aren't uh, getting uh, the amino acids lacking in gelatin. But uh, she said she had seen lots of old women going for years living on a diet of, of a toast and jello and tea uh, which are practically their only protein being the gelatin which is not a complete protein but that that was just an illustration of what a very tiny amount a, a very old person needs Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Rep, Dr. K. D. Garberville, 91.1 FM from now 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock. You're invited to call in with questions. The number is 707-923-3911.
guest speaker, Dr. Raymond Peet, uh, we're discussing excitotoxicity and monosodium glutamate in particular. Um, we'll carry on getting into some of the other adverse effects of monoglutamate uh, in a moment here. I uh, pulled out an article that was um, describing the, the um, exposure of rats to monosodium glutamate at the neonatal stage, severely damaging uh, their hypothalamic nuclei, uh, which resulted in increased body weight, as we've mentioned, fat deposition, decreased motor activity, uh, secretion of growth hormone, and MSG appears to be a suitable candidate for inducing obesity, which leads to diabetes. So this is uh, what we're talking about, what you're talking about, what you've explained from an excitotoxic energy wasteful uh, activity uh, mediated by uh, MSG. Uh, funny enough, as I said at the very beginning, the, um, the FDA is still uh, behind it. They haven't, uh, haven't thrown it out. They are still advocating its use or inclusion into foods. And like I said, I was very surprised that even things like um, human milk and cow milk uh, had some of these, uh, some of the monosodium glutamate component in it. It wasn't just the kind of thing we would typically think about, which would be Chinese food, for example, or soy, etc. I wonder if it's allowed to be in products without being listed as an additive, Dr. Pete. Do you know anything about that? I, I think legally it has to be listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have some alternatives, like uh, calling it a, a vegetable broth or something, uh, when it's really a... Uh, an MSG extracted from soybeans. Can it can it be natural flavor if it's less than a certain percentage, like some other stuff? Yeah, I, I suppose so. And then what about tamari? Sorry, before we move on from the MSG topic, um, tamari is the, a wheat-free soy sauce and that fermented soy protein. So doesn't that form like a natural MSG as well? Yeah. And so is that something that should be limited in someone's diet? I think so. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I wanted just to bring out quickly that uh, I saw an article again while I was looking at this um, this month's subject uh, this afternoon uh, that curcumin uh, from turmeric uh, protects against monosodium glutamate neurotoxicity uh, and decreasing NMDA2B, which is N-methyldiaspartate receptor 2B. And I know, Dr. Pete, you'd uh, mentioned NMDA earlier, uh, and that's uh, it's kind of an interesting article, uh, saying... Uh, that it basically affected this expression in the rat hippocampus. Uh, so that's another another good uh, plus point for turmeric and its anti-inflammatory activity that it also directly... Uh, uh, th- there are lots of the flavonoids uh, like quercetin and myricetin in coffee. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and uh, coffee has uh, lots of tissue-protective anti-cancer, anti-dementia effects that I... I think uh, are largely the effect of the uh, uh, flavonoid components. I wonder, there's probably through a a, a free radical quenching um, process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, Another article I pulled out uh, mentioned that the, um, uh, the vital role of the hippocampus in memory formation and regulation of behavior um, showing that glutamate was involved in increasing the levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, as uh, an example of tumor necrosis factor alpha being one of them, which contributes to the brain damage and the death of neurons. So this gave a mechanism by which that would that would happen. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and the, the 
there's been a lot of study uh, of uh, how the uh, excitotoxic uh, uh, things like glutamate, uh, what they're actually doing uh, to uh, make the cell become more active. Uh, And uh, they assumed for many of the studies that uh, glucose was somehow able to uh, reduce the uptake or retention by the cell uh, of the excitotoxic agent. But a more detailed study found that, in fact, the cells were being protected by high glucose addition without changing the concentration of aspartate or glutamate inside the cell. But what was happening was that normally the process of of, uh, responding to the uh, excitotoxin means that the cell is taking up and retaining the excitatory molecule calcium, uh, which uh, it should be an extracellular molecule. Uh, when the cell retains too much, it uh, goes into uh, the, the excited, uh, inflamed, uh, uh, energy-wasting state. And what they found was that the uh, addition of uh, extra glucose allowed the cell to extrude more calcium uh, as it continued to metabolize. Uh, the calcium was being pushed out of the cell under the influence of uh, the glucose, and apparently the mechanism for that is that glucose promotes the increase of carbon dioxide formation as it's metabolized, and the carbon dioxide forming the carbonic acid leaves the cell and takes with it the uh, counter uh, uh, ion, the uh, uh, doubly positively charged calcium uh, and some sodium. Uh, so the flow of, of uh, 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 carbonic acid out of the cell is taking care of the calcium accumulation product, which is uh, uh, the... the uh, the basic cause of the inflammation, uh, pain, and, and cell death. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMD Garbaville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in. It's 707-923-3911. So let me just quickly uh, outline the typical foods that people will probably be uh, aware or unaware of that are glutamate-rich, and it's not a bash at the uh, the vegetarians, but it just so happens that hydrolyzed vegetable protein uh, is very high in glutamate. Uh, autolyzed yeast, hydrolyzed yeast, uh, yeast extracts, soy extracts, and protein isolate are all very high in glutamate. Uh, these do form, without being you know uh, prejudiced or in, in any way, do form a fairly large part of a vegetarian or a 
vegan diet as an alternative protein source, but they do contain a lot of glutamate. So just to be aware of that. Yeah, a lot of bullions, I notice, even if they're organic and they say organic vegetable bullion or organic uh, chicken bullion or beef bullion, they have a yeast extract. And I notice if I use that or eat that, I feel like I've had an MSG burn on my tongue. <laughs> okay, we have a caller, so uh, let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? I live on the Avenue of the Giants where I pick up trash. And my question is going to take you guys back to the basics. Um, can you explain the inflammation, what you mean? Is it inflammation of the cells or is it inflammation around the muscle tissue, and particularly around, like, arthritis and just the aches and pains of getting older? Okay, Dr. Pete, would you want to briefly explain inflammation uh, in terms of its um, physical uh, uh, physical process? So that I'm, I'm, uh, People... In recent years, have been talking about inflammation, yeah. inflammaging, yeah, inflammaging, as uh, as if that explains something. But uh, the process of aging obviously uh, involves increased inflammation in every sense we know. Uh, but uh, the the problem is to see what the basic events are in cell structure uh, and pain, uh, excitation, inflammation, uh, and aging uh, all have these aspects uh, of excitotoxic cell damage uh, and the inability to uh, remedy the problem by making enough energy or, or delivering enough energy. Uh, the, the uh, uh, heme oxygenase, uh, one, one of the emergency enzymes that produces carbon monoxide, uh, the, the, there have been probably 95% of the publications are uh, describing uh, uh, carbon monoxide as an antioxidant, very protective and so on. But uh, if you look at the deteriorated brain in old age, uh, there is more carbon monoxide in it than at any previous life stage. Uh, so carbon monoxide presence is a degenerative uh, aspect of inflammation and uh uh, cell deterioration. Uh, if you block the formation uh, of nitric oxide, uh, for, for example, a, a traumatic wound to the head or spinal cord, uh, if you block the formation of, of uh, carbon monoxide, uh, you, you prevent most of the uh, damage uh, development uh, edema and cell death and so on. Uh, so the, the, the chemistry of aging, inflammation, and deterioration, uh, it's a complex of things that express the same idea as excitotoxicity. 
and waste and wasteful, wasteful energy wasteful yeah. processes. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, listen, we've got two more callers on the line, so thank you for your last uh, caller. An caller. administrative note to that first caller, uh, Kevin, we lost your phone number. Please call us back. <laughs> he wants to volunteer for us, and we're stoked that he wants to volunteer great. for us, but we cool. lost his phone number. So, Kevin, please call back, and here's our next caller. Call away from, and what's your question? I think you have a radio. Oh, no, the caller didn't listen on their phone like I asked. Oh, well, here's our next caller. Okay, please. Next caller, this is you. Yeah, that second caller should call back when they get a moment. So, next caller, where are you from? What's your question? Oh, yeah, I'm from South Central Los Angeles. Um, I was listening to the conversation, and uh, what I wanted to know was... um, how long does the body take, uh, you know, to heal from all the damage? Let's say you reduce all the estrogen, the polyunsaturated fat, all the inf- inflammatory things. Mm-hmm. How long does it take for um, somebody's body to reverse the damage? Is, is there a difference in age or is uh, it the same for everyone? Uh, yeah, the, the young person with the higher metabolic rate can change everything more quickly. Uh, uh, oh. Uh, the, the average person, uh, if you move from a country that eats a lot of polyunsaturated fats to a country that eats very little of them, it, it can take four years uh, to uh, equilibrate to the, the new balance in the diet. But if, if you make an extreme effort, uh, like uh, uh, one of the early researchers in uh, supposed uh, essentiality of polyunsaturated fats. Uh, they were going to demonstrate that he would get sick if he ate a laboratory purified diet absolutely lacking polyunsaturated fats. But uh, about three or four months into the diet, all of his chronic health problems disappeared, mm-hmm. uh, chronic mm-hmm. migraine and, and uh, other symptoms. Uh, and stayed away for as long as uh, was reported. Uh, so in his case, with an extreme avoidance of just one harmful nutrient, uh, his lifelong uh, problems disappeared in, in just a few months. Wow. And that, so that would, that would be also to, uh, like if you reduce things to uh, get rid of estrogen as well, for let's say my wife that suffers from fibroids and, has had a couple of miscarriages because of the, the uh, fibroids. Uh, uh, yeah, with the right amount. Uh, for example, uh, a friend of mine who was 40 and wanted to get pregnant, mm-hmm. uh, the, the pictures showed that she had a, a, a tennis ball-sized fibroid uh, blocking the end of her uterus so the, the tubes couldn't open to deliver the ovum. Uh, but she took an overdose of thyroid, and every month uh, the doctor, besides telling her she was going to die from taking too much thyroid, uh, mm-hmm. made an image showing that the thyroid was shrunken, and every month it got smaller. And I think it was about the fifth month it had become about a, a fourth of its original size, and she was pregnant. Okay. So the, the five months made a big difference just by using thyroid hormone, natural thyroid Lowering hormone, estrogen. that uh, yeah, lowered yeah. her estrogen uh, and improved her liver function. Uh, uh, and there are so many other 
out-of-balance components of the diet, uh, too much iron in most people's food, uh, too much methionine, aspartate, glutamate, cysteine, uh, uh, by fixing any one component, you can see drastic effects. So if you fixed half a dozen of these things that are out of balance, uh, it should uh, produce just very huge effects quickly. Okay, we do, we do have thank another you, caller on there, so let's... Thank uh, you very much, you guys. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for calling in. Uh, we do have another call. caller, so let's make sure we get time for this next person. If you're uh, listening, you'd like to call in, we've still another at least five or eight minutes. Uh, numbers 707-923-3911. Our guest speaker, Dr. Raymond Peake. So, caller, you're on the airway from. What's your question? Hi, I'm from Arcata. Uh, my question is, I have a young grandson who has had two episodes of big uh, intestinal bleeding, a couple of visits to a pediatric hospital with every uh, scope of his upper and lower GI done, not finding anything, figuring it's something called meckle, some lesion in your, in your small intestine. My question is, um, would, could you recommend any foods that would be soothing to the GI tract mm -hmm. or nutritionally beneficial especially? Uh, uh, to people vary in their sensitivities, but the first thing to do would be to absolutely avoid foods that had added gums, especially carrageenan, but uh, uh, a very high percentage of foods now contain uh, uh, vegetable gums or uh, microbial gums uh, or, or carrageenan, uh, mm -hmm. all of which are very pro-inflammatory. Uh, and just knocking out those foods uh, c can uh, stop things like chronic bowel bleeding. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, would um, aloe vera or slippery elm be some kind of panacea to help be soothing, or have you any recommendations for? Because we yeah, I, I, I would I, ultimately promote to figure out uh, what exactly it is. You know, a lesion or a diverticulum or whatever. Well, how old is your grandson? Nine. That's hmm. young. So, and um, just straight off the top, I mean, it might sound a little. Uh, uh, mild, but um, in Germany and in Europe, obviously in England, where I grew up and I studied herbal medicine, chamomile was the number one uh, GI anti-inflammatory. Uh, it's got a fairly pronounced effect, effect in uh, blocking inflammation uh, and soothing the GI tract. So chamomile is uh, mother of the gut, nurse of the gut, and uh, that would be one of the first things that I would give somebody from a herbal perspective. <coughs> um, obviously, Depending on what kind of bleeding we're talking about, gentle, gentle tannins uh, would also be indicated from a herbal perspective to gently astringe uh, the, the capillaries or the other tissues that are leaking uh, blood into the um, into the lumen of the in small intestine or large intestine. And that can but, be as simple as like black tea or green tea. Yeah, black tea would be uh, totally indicated, as would um, many other astringent containing herbs like potentilla. And it's very important to check his thyroid and vitamin D levels mm -hmm. because a, a deficiency of either of those can make the intestine uh, 
hyper sensitive to inflammation. Yeah. It would, uh, it would look, if you haven't already done it, and I imagine it's been looked at, but obviously his hemoglobin would be looked at because I would imagine if he's had long-term chronic bleeding, it'd be anemic. And that's going to uh, be a negative factor for him in terms of his energy uh, and to support that. Plenty of uh, plenty of foods that would contain naturally um, present iron rather than any iron supplement. As Dr. Pete's already mentioned, iron is very reactive and, and is quite a, an, an inflammatory and damaging molecule. So um, definitely go with foods that would be iron-rich and liver. Um, oh, oh uh, and uh, avoiding synthetic uh, vitamin C, now that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, uh, iron, uh, the synthetic vitamin C reacts with the traces of iron in your body uh, to produce inflammation. Okay, we have one more caller. Caller, the last person who was on, the lady with the grandson, if you ever wanted to get any more information from us, you can always um, email me, andrew at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. i uh, give you an outline of what would be a fairly good diet, and um, if you want to take it any further, we can always discuss it. But let's um, take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? What's your question? Hi, I'm... Uh person from uh, Queens, New York. Uh, I have a, a question about dentistry. Uh, I would like to know uh, what would you say, Dr. Pete, are the basic consequences of uh, not filling a cavity and is there any uh, damage to the nervous system that takes place if you leave a cavity unfilled? A, a, a cavity? In yeah, the yeah. We're talking about yeah. dentistry in the cavity that he's potentially having dealt with, but maybe uh, uh, considering uh, not. The, if, if the damage is only uh, uh, into the enamel, uh, that can be remineralized. But once it's uh, 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 if it enters into the dentine, uh, then it really needs to be filled. I think um, it, it's my understanding that cavities killed more people than anything else in the Middle Ages, <laughs> just because it would rot. And Depending on how it left the caries, well, yeah. Yeah, dental disease is definitely a big killer. Okay, well, let me uh, let me just say this. I think probably I'd like to ask you a few more questions, Dr. Pete. I'm not too sure uh, if anyone else is calling in with any questions, but I did want to just get out this uh, information for people to take a look at. You mentioned a, um, a researcher uh Blaylock um now I looked up uh this person and in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory Practice and Research dated January 2021 uh, I saw a, a very interesting article it wasn't actually related straight away to excitotoxicity but uh, the title was excitotoxicity and immunoexcitotoxicity as a critical component of the cytokine storm reaction in pulmonary viral infection, including SARS-CoV-2. Um, basically stating that this hyperimmune state secondary to dysregulation of the immune system during lower pulmonary viral infections uh, was ultimately uh, causative uh, in the end for cytokine storm uh, and that a, uh, a researcher called Morimoto uh, Morimoto et al., uh, the people that formed this particular thesis, found that co-injection of lipopolysaccharide, which we've always mentioned as being a, a very negative substance in the body, uh, plus the NMDA agonist, uh, which is a compound called ibotenate or ibotenic acid from Amanita muscaria, uh, of all things. I just wanted to bring this out because 
on a side note, Amanita muscaria having been used as a uh, hallucinogen, certainly uh, very liver toxic, uh, but obviously it has uh, more significant neuronal damage, uh, causative activity through uh, the exocytoxic, exocytotoxic uh, uh, arm of the reaction. Um, And uh, that the SARS-CoV-2 cytokine storm thing uh, is quite interesting from that... um, uh, amino excitotoxic. It's time to wrap it up. <laughs> okay, well, I do want to say one more thing about the caller who called from New York asking about cavities. Um, we see a holistic dentist in Oregon, in Medford, Oregon, and he recommends Lugol's iodine for those cavities that are just invading the enamel, the tooth, rather than going all the way into the dentine. And he said because it's so close on the periodic table of elements to fluoride and it is not neurotoxic like fluoride is, it's a safe alternative to use, besides being antimicrobial, uh, a low percentage solution of iodine called Lugol's iodine is um, very helpful for remineralizing superficial cavities. And I'll throw a, a plug out there for flossing. As one wise person said, floss only those teeth you wish to keep. <laughs> okay, thanks so much for your time, Dr. <laughs> Pete. I just wanted to read out one last thing before we close the show. Okay, so uh, last month I came out with the same paragraph. I've changed it slightly, but um, again, uh, Europe has lifted the mandate for everything related to COVID, COVID as well as well, Ireland. Britain, Britain, uh, I England, the, not, the, not the Europe. The subject of the paragraph I just want to read out yep. now slowly so people can hear and understand. Uh, authoritarianism and the age of acceptance have it all and have nothing. We're evolving as a species, and with our evolution comes a concept of deranged acceptance. Nature is not accepting, but rather through evolutionary pressure, it selects the fittest and is quite barbaric. It takes no prisoners and is quite merciless. Rules exist and nature obeys them. They are set from the foundation of the world, which we recently have also learned to meddle with and derange, like viruses and gain-of-function research and the origins of COVID. The opposite, perhaps of the all-encompassing embrace of everything is allowable, are the immutable laws set in place which we are constrained to, like time, gravity, and death. Authoritarianism, like cultural Marxism, is at odds with our founding fathers' constitution of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is a God-ordained decree, immutable and self-evident, echoing Martin Luther's famous speech from the Emancipation Proclamation. Like gain-of-function research and authoritarianism, these are set at odds with their counterpart and are to be resisted with your life. Life demands that fitness be preserved and aims at physical and spiritual health. I put it to you that with increasing authoritarianism and draconian legislation aimed at making us happier to coexist with everything, accept everything, have no boundaries and have no morals, I leave you with this. Have at it, or resist and live. Until the third Friday of next month, my name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Murray. Thank you for listening. Thank you.